If you brought your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And I want to share with you verses 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Verse 23. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This morning I want to share some thoughts with you in a sermon that I've just entitled, The Most Dreadful Words. The Most Dreadful Words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. Look at that verse, if you will. Jesus is talking, and he said, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. As I read this passage of Scripture, and as I've read it time and time again, I believe that Jesus makes the saddest statement that's ever fallen on human ears. Depart from me. Now imagine those words. If Jesus was, you were standing in front of Jesus, the Son of God, and Jesus turns and says, Depart from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Those would have to be the saddest words anybody could have fall on their ears. And this statement was made by Jesus, that was made by Jesus, was not made to uh, people that you think it would be made to. Jesus made this statement to religious people of the day. To those that thought they were right with God. To those that thought they were going to heaven. People who had every intention of going to heaven. Most people today are intended in going to heaven. I mean, you talk with them and they say, well, yes, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Or I want to go to heaven when I die. We have intentions of going to heaven. But notice he wasn't speaking to a group of drunkards. He wasn't speaking to adulterers. He wasn't speaking to homosexuals. He wasn't speaking to prostitutes. He wasn't speaking to the dope crowd. But he was speaking to religious people who were lost. And Jesus is saying that there are a number of people who go through the rituals of religion, but at the same time they're lost. And so the question boils down to this for you and me have you been born again have we been born again 
Do we truly know Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior? Or to put it another way, are you part of the many that's mentioned in verse 22 that will hear the words of Jesus? Depart from me. I never knew you. Now this is a very serious matter. I mean, it's been estimated that perhaps 50% of Americans identify themselves as born-again believers. But on the basis of God's description of true believers, and on the basis of the fact that a few come on God's term, chapter 7, look at chapter 7, verse 14. He says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. On the basis of God's description of true believers and the fact that a few come on God's terms, it's hard to believe that 50% of church members today are true believers. Therefore, what does the statement of Jesus imply when he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. I listed three things and jot these down if you will. First of all, the statement that Jesus spoke, depart from me, I never knew you. The statement implies the possibility of being deceived. You see, the worst type of deception is self-deception. It's when you deceive yourself. It's bad when someone else deceives you, and all of a sudden you find out you've been deceived by the person. Perhaps a close friend, perhaps a family member, and what they said to you just didn't come about, and, and there's hurt feelings, and there's hard feelings, and you've been deceived. And that's hard. And we're teaching, we're teaching on Sunday night of, of this thing called forgiveness, and how we forgive those that hurt us, and by word or by deed. And it's hard when someone deceives us, but it's even worse when we deceive ourselves. My friend, listen, you may have deceived yourselves in regards to your salvation. First of all, if you have refused to examine yourself in regards to your salvation, you may have deceived yourself. If you have refused to examine yourselves, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Paul says this, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobate. Paul says, examine yourselves to see if Christ is in you. Paul says, test yourself. Do you recognize that Jesus Christ is living in you? Is He in you? And friend, listen, this morning, look at your heart. Look at your inner motives. Look at your desires of your heart. Look at your desires of your life. Are, are they truly set toward God and His righteousness? Do you have those desires in your heart? Even the weakest Christian 
has pure longings in his heart for righteousness. They may not always get it right, and they may fail. We may fail from time to time, but in our heart, we want to be pure like unto God. Examine yourselves. So a person could possibly be deceived if they refuse to examine their heart to see if they be in the faith. Secondly, a person is not, who, is, who is not concerned about having his or her present sin cleansed has a good reason to doubt that their past sins are forgiven. If you're not concerned of your present sin and having your present sins forgiven, you have a good reason to doubt if the past sins have been forgiven. Meaning this, if a person is habitually, willfully practicing sin without presently, without any remorse, without any conviction, without any repentance, regardless what experience they may have had as a child, as a middle-aged adult, regardless of those experiences they claim they might have had, God's Word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 9 and 10, look at that just a moment. That they are very, they're in very dangerous territory. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse uh, 9, if you will. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And so a person who is habitually, willfully practicing sin without any remorse, conviction, or repentance, regardless what experience they claim they might have had, God says that anyone who continues to practice sin does not belong to Him. You've been deceived. If your present sin doesn't disturb you, more than likely there's been no past repentance there's been no repentance for past sin. Look, if you will, at uh, Ephesians 5. Basically, it says the same thing. Ephesians 5, verse 5 and 6. It says this, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 5. For this you know, that no whoremonger, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Period. Period. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Period. Be careful. If your present sins are not of concern, it just could be that there's not been any remorse, any repentance for your past sins. Third reason for self-deception. A, con a concentration on religious activity. I just jotted that down. A concentration on religious activity, meaning attending church and hearing sermons and being baptized and taking the Lord's Supper and singing songs and reading the Bible, 
while at the same time knowing that you've never been born again. Knowing that you've never truly accepted Jesus Christ. You're deceiving yourself in your salvation if you're thinking you're doing all of those religious things, but you've never truly been born again. You're just going through the motions of religious activity. Don't deceive yourselves by just concentrating on religious activity for your salvation. And then I jotted down a number four, and I listed it as a fair exchange. The fair exchange principle, or you might say the, the balancing out principle of self-deception. By that I mean that this, this is when a person rationalizes that his or her salvation has been accomplished as they begin to do good things and balance out the bad things. In other words, they feel if they can balance out the positives over the negatives, that they'll have a home in heaven. I know I've done this and this and this, but if I can do this, this, and this, then I'm going to be right with God. Don't deceive yourself in regards to salvation on trying to balance out the positives over the negatives. Because you see, apart from God, if you're not in Christ, apart from God, it's impossible to do anything good for God. The Bible says that our righteousness, your righteousness, my righteousness, my goodness are as filthy rags. The Bible says it this way, there's none righteous, there's none good, no, not one. You see, the statement by Jesus implies that there is a possibility of being deceived about your salvation. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. You can be deceived by refusing to examine yourself. You can be deceived by not being concerned about your present sins. You can be deceived by concentrating just on religious activities. You can be deceived by trying to balance out good doing more good than doing evil. You can be deceived. But I notice, secondly, the statement also implies that there are those who are hypocrites. Now, hypocrites are nothing new. Jesus had strong words for hypocrites. And we have hypocrites today. It's not, it's not like hypocrites are new in the church today. Jesus dealt with hypocrites constantly. It's nothing new. And so there are those today who know that they're lost and they try to fool everyone. Uh, the word hypocrites comes from the word mask or to play act. A hypocrite is someone who is pretending. They're, they're, they're acting like something that they're really not. That's a hypocrite. In the earlier days, they would have a mask, and you'd seen them on movies perhaps attached to a stick, and they'd hold a false face in front of them. Okay, and they would hide behind the mask. That's where we get the word hypocrite, pretended. Now, with that in mind, it might just be frightening to you to know the number of people perhaps here today that are really not themselves. They're hiding behind a mask. 
Now, they have a mask for work. They have a mask for school. They have a mask for their spouse. They have a mask for their children. They have a mask for their parents. They're just hiding behind the mask. They know that they're lost. But the sad thing is, the most tragic thing is, that they had rather wear a mask than to acknowledge that they're a sinner and they need to be saved. They have substituted the grace of God for a mask. A mask. Look, if you will, in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. Jesus is speaking to a multitude and to his disciples. Matthew 23, verse 1. Jesus, then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, verse 3, All therefore, whatsoever they bid you, observe. Whatever they tell you to do, you need to do it. Whatever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. That's a hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing, does another. Let me give you an example. Hypocrite says, I love the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The hypocrite says, well, you know, I believe we need to evangelize and I believe we need to witness. What they say is good, but what they do is different. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Lord, that's the Great Commission. We know that it's right to witness. But Jesus said, listen, do what they say, but don't do as they do, because what they say and what they do is different. A hypocrite says you need to love each other. The Bible says to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor like unto that. But what they say, do. But what they, what they do, do not do, because what they say and do is different. Now, a hypocrite may fool their family. They may, you may fool your family, may fool your friends, may fool your preacher, your pastor, but you're not fooling God. And I had rather walk down an aisle, now listen, I'd rather walk down an aisle and confess that I'd been a hypocrite and be saved than to hide behind a mask and miss heaven. So the statement of Jesus implies the possibility of being deceived. It implies that there are those who are hypocrites, And then the statement implies, and I'll close with this, it reminds us that we must be born again. Look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Verse 3. He's talking to a religious person again, Nicodemus. And he came to Jesus, and he had some questions. He said in verse 3, Jesus, he said... In verse 2, there came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to go to heaven, you must be born again. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, You must be born again. Now, Matthew 7, verse 21, don't forget it. And Jesus will say to them on that day, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. And that Matthew 7, 21 underscores, it emphasizes, it endorses, it guarantees the command of Jesus when Jesus said to Nicodemus, Ye must be born again. So here's the question for us today. Are you religious? Are you lost? Have you been born again? Do not deceive yourselves. Now this morning you can know that you're saved. You say, well, how can a person know that, Brother Sam? Well, you know it through his word. The Bible says in 1 John five thirteen, These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can take the written word and you can know that you have eternal life. You can know you're saved through the written word. You can know you're saved through the witness of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 16, The Spirit beareth witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to my spirit, brings conviction that I need to be saved, that I'm a hypocrite or that I'm lost. Or the Holy Spirit gives me a peace about my salvation. So the Spirit of God speaks to me, and His Spirit bears witness with my spirit. And then you can have the assurance through just a personal examination of your life. Look at your life. The fruit of the Spirit, what the fruit, what the Spirit produces in your life is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and temperance and meekness, self-control, for which there's no law. Galatians 5 verse 22. But the works of the flesh is envy and hatred and resentment resentfulness and bitterness and anger. So what is your life producing? The fruit or the flesh? Heed the warning. There's coming a day where Jesus will pronounce those words. Depart from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Can't plead your case then. It's over with. You can't say conjunction, but if it hadn't been for those hypocrites in the church, I would have gave my life to Christ, but just the way they lived, well, you'll get to the hypocrite a little later on. But right then, he's dealing with you. There's no excuses then. So today, you have an opportunity to put all of that at ease. Rest your spirit in knowing you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Would you be willing to do that today? Would you be willing to come and say, Brother Sammy, I want to give my heart and life to Christ. I'm not talking about being a Baptist. I'm talking about receiving Jesus Christ 
into your life, receiving the free gift of eternal life. Other things are important, but they won't save you. But he will. He wants to today. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a time that we've had to, to hear those words, those dreadful words, that some people will hear one day. But today you've given us an opportunity, those who have never trusted you, Lord, to, to come today and trust you as Lord and Savior of their lives. Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray for, uh, for the believer. Lord, let us rejoice and be glad that our sins are forgiven and help us to commit ourselves today, Lord, as a believer to live for you and to share with others how, may, how they may have this free gift of eternal life. Then I pray for the person who has the unbeliever today, that today the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart, that they would come and trust you and only you for their salvation. Father, thanks for speaking to our heart, and I pray that you'll move upon the people today. Pray for other decisions that perhaps need to be made, whatever rededication, recommitment, transfer of membership, whatever it might be. I pray that they'll be willing to make those decisions today. In Jesus' name, amen.